very nice to be here and uh, talk about the close of 2023 into 2024. That's kind of the theme of my present presentation today, 2024 predictions. My name is Samantha LaDuke, and I'm the founder of LaDukeTrading.com. I run, a, I'm a macro to micro analyst, educator, and trader. So I run a service for uh, retail to institutional clients, actually anywhere on the trading journey that uh, active traders and investors might be from beginner, intermediate to advanced. Uh, my website is LaDukeTrading.com and I provide a full live trading room in the morning as well as post all analysis and trade setups across all asset classes, and not to mention all time frames, chase, swing, and trend. So uh, we're kind of coming together to take a look at 2024 today to kind of give a, a feel for what um, I see from a macro perspective. But first, let me kind of just back up a little bit to let you know I'm very much using macro as a backdrop. So I have um, a macro advisor edge product. It is run by a hedge fund manager by the name of Craig Shapiro. He was a client of mine for years, uh, and now he works directly with clients, um, those who are very much managing their own money or others. So he's very much the one that talks all things macro all the time. I use it as, use it as a backdrop. Uh, economic policies uh, drive price. Obviously, there's a, a, a kind of a, a underlying belly of fundamentals, some tech, definitely, definitely quant, which is money flow, um, sentiment, of course. But uh, mostly I use a kind of a, a, a style of analysis that blends all of this with my intermarket analysis, which is very much comparing assets and timeframes to identify when there are going to be some inflection points. So that's really my focus of uh, scanning all the different uh, areas that kind of make up um, a, a trend reversal or something that's going to be durable in trend. And I'm basically get on that horse, ride it until it absolutely wants to change. And for the most part, this has worked extremely well in this backdrop post-COVID, um, being a bond bear, among other things, higher interest rates. And that has proven to be very, very successful trade uh, from a backdrop of, again, macro. But I go in and take a look at oil and um, equities and the whole nine yards. So that's basically what I'm going to be uh, sizing up. And then, of course, this sector rotation theme, which is something that changes from month to month, quarter to quarter, but there are sometimes some very durable themes like precious metals or um, you know, the energy sector where I'll get really, really focused on that for outperformance. And then uh, I can pick the best stocks in those sectors and we actively trade across again, um, multiple weeks, months, depending on how well they're working out. So that's basically my backdrop of using um, this kind of modality of different research putting it all together and coming up with some predictions. I do it every year. Um, and I'm going to tell you, it's going to be tough. I had a really, really good run with um, a January 2022. Let me get this actually. Hold on one second. There we go. I had a really, really good run um, for the past few years. So let's see how this goes into 2024. But uh, it's probably helpful to do a kind of trip down memory lane. And let's start with the 2020. COVID crash. 
um, right into the 2021 energy outperformance and bond crash and right into the 2022 NASDAQ outperformance ends. So these were major, major themes. So I thought in order to go forward, we have to kind of go back. And basically, this is how I approached the market at the time, because in February of 2020, we had some very large net selling happening underneath the service surface of the market with a lot of breadth destruction. So that's part of my intermarket analysis is really sizing up uh, which so sectors are strong and weak, but also overall net selling um, buying. And then of course the, uh, the breadth expansion helps markets stay ele elevated, but destruction actually creates an air pocket of risk. And I saw that on February 18th, very, very large air pocket of risk. And sure enough, we rolled over um, on the 23rd, 24th, and we basically dropped 35% on that COVID crash. So I was very much in tune with the market during that very fast uh, pullback. Clients know, client, in fact, Craig knows, because like I said, he was a client at the time um, before he came on board to run that product, Macro Advisor Edge. So that was a very, very successful one. Um, also in August, uh, specifically, I had this very strong thesis that interest rates were done going down and bonds uh, were done going up. And that had proven to be the bottom in interest rates, long story short. So that has been a durable things over paper theme from 2020, which was not just the equity pullback and volatility, but also this, um, uh, con I'm saying it's concurrent, meaning it's still working, of bonds are done going up. So that was the premise of 2020 and it worked. Uh, moving into 2021, I felt very strongly that the because interest rates were lower, uh, sorry, had stopped going down, they were gonna start to rise, that energy would start to serve as um, an inflation hedge, specifically oil as an inflation hedge. So I actually not only started positioning in uranium and other energy plays for clients back in November, December of 2020. But then in 2021, really, really stuck on this theme as oil as an inflation hedge, and then literally wrote up a very long post that said crude could double in one year. So that was a macro trend that basically crude at the time was $65. And I said, it wouldn't surprise me if it doubles by one, um, by the, following March, which was March of 2022. Um, so it literally happened. So call it lucky, call it good. But the major point I'm trying to make is that that prediction was completely focused on energy to outperform. That was very, very important. And that, that whole thesis that I documented for clients um, in March of 2021, oil as an inflation hedge. So that worked. Then later in the year, October, I had also another post. I tend to get, you know, into this kind of thinking space <laughs> where I pull back and take a look at the overall market and see what's going to happen uh, again, kind of looking ahead for the next year. And I had a particular um, long post, deflation of wages ended with COVID. And it was my thesis that bonds would crash in 2022. And it just so happens that bonds had their biggest yearly loss on record in 2022. So this was early in March, oil as an inflation hedge. This was later in October of 2021. Um, deflation of wages ended with COVID, bonds would crash. So that did prove to be very helpful to my sector rotation theme. In other words, um, going long the energy patch, right? Oil and gas plays. 
or uh, going short the uh, the bond um, market, whether it be TLT, ZBZN, it really doesn't matter. Uh, they were all under attack. All right, so fast forward to 2022, the same type of thing started happening um, that was happening up here in February 18th, which was underneath the surface, there was a lot of breadth destruction. It started happening in November, uh, specifically of 2021. It was the 16th was my first warning to clients that we had some big net selling and breadth destruction underneath the surface. And that happened through all of November and December leading into January. So in January of 2022, I did another post of my predictions for the year and the title, you know, NASDAQ outperformance ends. So it was a 13 year run in out in a NASDAQ outperformance. And I basically put together a big long post and said, I see NASDAQ uh, the market pulling back 20%. So at the time we had 4,800, we did actually overshoot. We didn't just stop at 3,800. We went to, you know, below 3,600. Um, NASDAQ actually pulled back 35%. So my January call was a 20% pullback, but we had it. Nobody else was saying we're going to have a pullback. They were very, very bullish on the TV show that I was on uh, the panel. I was the only one of five, six. That was basically, nope, this is this is going to be the uh, the reason for the season and why the market pulls back. And I also wrote and said that bonds would fall with stocks. So 2022 was really kind of a successful year because one, that crude oil call, right, that I said would uh, hit 130 by March of 2022, that happened. And my pullback of 20% in the market that I um, gave in January 9th of 2022 absolutely came true. And then some, uh, basically it supported this growth to value rotation um, metric, right? So I, I'm always following which is going to outperform growth or value and then go shopping within those sectors and stocks. Anyway, that's exactly what happened. We had a very, very big impulse higher in rates. Bonds fell more than people uh, thought. That was literally how I worded it. <laughs> so we had a, um, a very successful year of predictions in 2022, and clients made a lot of money off those. So fast forward to 2023, I had a very successful call, and then I, I really kind of hedged my bet because I really didn't know on the equity side. I didn't have a particular theme. I didn't have a sector rotation theme. I didn't have really a, a feel for where equities would end up. So first... I did have, the, um, even if I was hedging my bets, it was still a successful call in that I said paid to wait. And I kept tweeting this basically, you know, why would, uh, you know, clients, institutions, other, you know, take on too much risk unless they're very active. They're likely to park their money in high yielding money market funds and T-bills and literally wrote that in September of 2022. And that is exactly what started happening. And then it picked up speed by March of 2023. And we had, of course, a bank run with Silicon Valley Bank. So before, literally, before folks were parking their cash and everyone was talking about all the money sitting in money market funds and T-bills, that was the absolute rotation that I saw in play. And it's still durable today. It hasn't changed. People are still very much comfortable earning uh, 5% on their, you know, short duration um, uh, cash uh, or cash equivalent, you know, yielding uh, uh, interest accounts. <coughs> so that was that was at the beginning um, 
in this kind of period of trying to size up what's going to happen in 2023 for equities. I really didn't have an edge. But I did say, based on the U.S. 10-year yield, literally on September 22nd, 2022, I wrote that the 10-year yield would hit 4.7% before the end of 2023. And we did. In fact, we hit 4.99% this past October before we rolled over. So here are the highlights, right? Not too shabby from a macro standpoint, from a sector rotation standpoint. And then what you don't see is in my service, I'm picking stocks every single day. Um, we do chases in my live trading room, what's moving, market moving news, event, you know, risk, market direction calls, all that. Then we've got swings based on sector rotation, like right now the uh, the gold um, miners are popping up like daisies, et cetera. So we have always something to chase or swing trade. And then I have a long only portfolio, which is very much the durable, you know, um, month to month to month, as long as they're working, they stay very, very just in play. Um, there's not a lot of movement of the particular um, recommended trend long portfolio. So, but those are based on these kind of bigger backdrop uh, calls of macro and sector rotation. So the fast forward to kind of 2023, the only thing, the only other two kind of positions that I had of conviction, um, and that was made during 2023, was when we had the March um, bailout, Silicon Valley and the rest, and the, the Fed, Treasury, and White House came in on Sunday before the futures market opened up and said that they would backstop. They didn't say bailout. But they said they obviously were worried about bank runs and they would backstop the banks. Don't worry about those unrealized treasury losses. They would make sure that uh, they were, you know, rated at par. And in any case, that was it. I knew that the Fed was done hiking. So they were going to step down and then pause. And I was very, very adamant that it was by the rumor of a Fed pause. So we basically had that intervention in March of 2023. So that was not made in September. These were in September of 2022 for 2023. This was made in March of 2023 for the rest of the year. And that absolutely proved to be um, confidence inspiring. And it got a lot of, um, you know, it got us out of trouble, basically. So that has also resulted in the Fed finally intonating. Uh, actually, not that they just kind of stop um, hiking. They did a skip, right? They really intonated a pause this past uh, FOMC meeting. So the market's very excited about that. Um, and then the last thing was that we would have um, a pullback. And that was something that I warned about in mid-July. I did um, several interviews where I said I could see us falling into 4,000. We didn't. We hit 4,100. But we did come back from you know 46. I said 46.60 would cap it for the year. And it looked like we were going to roll over. And then sure enough, on August 1st, we had a very sharp pull down, both in queues and SPY, because of what's called the quarterly refunding announcement. And it was Yellen issuing a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of bonds, which basically put a bid in the 10-year yield and the U.S. dollar. And that has basically been, uh, that was the reason that we rolled over. And I kept, you know, tweeting um, and talking about this with clients and writing all my reasons that this was a market price for perfection to expect a pullback. And we did roll over August, September, October before um, I also said the only way we're going to get, um, you know, a stay of execution from rolling over further, it was a bounce hard, trounce hard warning, 
was if we got government intervention. And sure enough, November 1st, FOMC, not only did the Fed minute, uh, the Fed uh, Powell presentation after the FOMC uh, decision to not hike, but he also intonated very kind of clearly that they were going to pause, that uh, things were, you know, fine for the rest of the year. They were not going to hike in December. So that was one thing. But it was also Yellen. Yellen had the next quarterly refunding announcement, October 31st. So on the 1st, it showed the composition of the bills versus bonds. One is liquidity providing, which the bills were, and the other takes it away, liquidity draining. And that is basically what she kicked down the road and created this stir um, in lots of bond shorts covering and equity shorts absolutely getting squeezed. And we have had a historic, historic month of November. In fact, I was just posting um, for clients. Let me just put this here. Literally, right? We've had the best um, SPY returns, 8% gain. It's one of the best in 100 years. We had VIX fell, uh, falling to its lowest level in nearly four years. And we, of course, you know, have the Magnificent Seven uh, had a magical comeback led by Apple and Microsoft. But mostly this is um, a, a concentration risk right now that everyone's taking a look at. And you'll see how I'm looking at it for next year, how we're going to how we're going to kind of uh, manifest this uh, weight, this concentration risk in mega cap tech, because they are the ones producing the outsized gains for the year. In fact, we have uh, the MAG-7 up 105% this year versus SPY up 19%. And we're talking about not equal weighted or anything. We're just talking about all the weighting of SPY. We've had a very nice bounce because of MAG-7. If you took that out, it'd be flat. If you just, just looked at the MAG-7, they're up 105%. So we have a really big um, kind of bifurcated market where um, obviously the uh, the high tech plays, the darlings with a big moat and all that stuff are really, really doing well. And since then, we've also from that uh, November 2nd um, uh, move, we've seen bonds also stage a relief rally of 15 percent. And uh, we've got some big decisions to make. But that's, you know, the, the situation that we're at right now for end of year SPX is just pricing in 2.4% move over the next month, nearly the lowest in five years. That's really a lot of risk. So the chances that we're going to have some chop are pretty high and volatility is extremely oversold. The cost of betting, you know, on a on a uh, on puts right now is historically low. Like literally the cost of puts is even cheaper today than in 2017 when VIX was at its all-time low, even with VIX right now just in the 12, not the eight handle. So we have a, a big, big kind of market uh, to digest for December, but that kind of brings us up to what's up next year. Since we've had this historic move higher in November and right now that has completely um, unwound the uh, shorts. And we talk about that in my trading room a lot, but also I post all those levels of where it comes in to uh, be concerned about, you know, when we have the um, the CTAs buying that helps lift prices, buying begets buying, that's all exhausted now. So now we have a situation where we could turn very quickly with some downside convexity, which is basically a fancy way of saying they have already 
um, bought over a hundred billion. And now it's time for some lightening up. That's basically what that means. <laughs> so this is kind of a, a, an overview of how the top plays have worked out each of the prior four years uh, coming into 2024. So here's what I had basically uh, laid out, not so far in advance, actually, just recently. So we'll see how this does um, because so much of it has already kind of happened. But I made this call that the U.S. dollar has likely peaked. So that was uh, near the the Yellen Yahtzee of, uh, you know, Treasury issuance and the Fed, um, you know, intonated pause. But it was really, really confirmed for me as a uh, as my key level, key technical level was broken. And that didn't happen for another week after later. But I'll show that to you. But big picture this is stuff that I've already started talking about with clients and has been working where I wrote a big thesis, US dollar has likely peaked, okay? And I'll show you a few charts on that, um, but this is one of them. Let's see if I can show this. Here's the US dollar on a weekly, just kind of keep that in mind. It's a little messy and I've got some cycles here underneath, um, but the point was you can see where we had some very, very large pullback um, in the dollar right before 2017. And by the way, 2017 peak in the dollar pullback resulted uh, uh, with um, uh, SPY advancing 30% that year alone. We had another COVID kind of freak out and then pullback. You know what happened during the, the COVID QE and such. So this is another area where we just had recently um, in 2022, October, right before this year, where we had the central bank um, globally, not just Treasury, but they also coordinated with Bank of Japan and, and PBOC in China to intervene because the dollar was pushing uh, 115 Dixie and yields were pushing 4.33 in the 10. So they came in and um, Matt King of Citibank estimated that this liquidity that was infused by the central banks amounted to about $1.5 trillion. And that helped the dollar and the yields to fall and equities to go up, right? So equities as well, and it helped bonds to stop falling for a bit. Well, I think that this was a point. It's not as pointy as these, as substantive as these. But the point is, because that was COVID, that was a lot of QE. This was, you know, also a, a lot of QE. But this was still a, a point in time where I said, I think the dollar has peaked. And that's going to be very productive if you're long equities. It's also going to help relatively with hard commodities. It's also going to help with gold, silver, and miners. And that's all working. So that's basically the, the timing of US dollar has likely peaked. <clears throat> and I'll show you that in a few other places as well. This is on kind of a, a, a funky little intermarket tell, but this is the same idea, right? You kind of get the, the COVID crash, you get the central bank liquidity, and then this is where I said, I think the US dollar has peaked and we have rolled over and broken below um, some key levels. And I think we're gonna keep going uh, lower. We will have a dance, of course, with bounces, but big picture, I think the dollar has peaked. Um, this is also helpful to understand why it matters. So this is MAG7, right? This is the stuff I was just talking about, Magnificent 7, right? With the, with the heavy, heavy concentration risk. 
in Apple and Google and Amazon and, you know, the whole thing, NVIDIA. So this was where I had shown this ratio of just the seven, the seven magnificent seven. And you can kind of see where the advance from the January effect, and then this is the March bailout or what they call the backstop from the banks. And then we had this nice continuation, especially with NVIDIA, when NVIDIA had its gangbuster earnings in May. Anyway, long story short, it had been digesting very nicely. Um, it rolled over August, September, October. And then right here, I posted this chart for clients and said, bounce hard or trounce hard? That's the question. And sure enough, that Monday before the FOMC and Treasury announcement of the 1st of November, we bounced very hard and we followed through. So this is from the 15th. We're right up here now. We're exactly right up here testing this, and the market is basically deciding if it has the energy to get above or it's going to roll over and kind of retest where it broke out. But this was an update to the chart that I had posted for clients, and I wanted to just reiterate the Dixie at the time was you know pushing 107 um, 10, into 108 area, and it has since fallen not just to 104, but we tagged the 102 area today. So this is very very illustrative of how strong the tech companies perform on falling yields and dollar in a nutshell. All right. So this is basically this dollar has peaked kind of showing you technically or from an intermarket standpoint or its effect on, you know, mag seven plays, but that's not the only thing. I also, at the same time said, I see the tenure pulling back to 4.1%. Now, so far, we've pulled back from that 4.99 through the 4.9, which was really key line in the line in the sand, 4.7, 4.6, 4.5. 4, like we're, we're down at 4.36 right now. So we've fallen a lot. It doesn't mean we can't have a few bounces and such. But the point is, this is pulling back just as I expected. And now I think we're going to base for a little bit before we move much, much, much higher next year. Okay. Um. Now, for, for anyone who might be interested, I want to just share, this is stuff that I obviously, you know, come up with and share with clients. But if you are interested in this backdrop of macro to micro, then I want to encourage you. We have a great Black Friday sale. And this is something that uh, ended yesterday. Jane basically said that we extend this for today. It's 30% off. We've got three, again, three products. My Mine is right here. I run the club, including the live trading room and all of my posted analysis. We have Craig, who runs the Edge, which is more of a macro product for those who manage money. And we also have a fabulous Chase community, which is called Community. It's in Discord for those who really are just momentum traders. You're really just interested in you know what we what I see in the trading room and what we're positioning for the day or the next few days or maybe the next week or so, but they're very much focused on momentum using mostly options and on a shorter time frame. So it's a community of kind of newer momentum traders. Anyway, this is what I am just kind of Black Friday, LaDukeTrading.com slash Black Friday. Um, for more information. All right. So that's my outrageous prediction in a nutshell. And this is literally what I had, you know, posted for clients falling US dollar, the only reason to be long stocks <laughs> and the US tenure to pull back to 4.3, maybe you overshoot to 4.1. By the way, we're already at 4.3, right? 
um, and then shoot higher to 6.5 by the end of 2024. Now, you might think that sounds a little surprising, but remember when I made that crude call, in other words, crude oil, in March of 2021, that it would reach 130 by March of 2022? It physically doubled. The price of that instrument doubled in one year. That's the same call I'm making for the 10-year yield. But it is an if-then. In other words, it has to get back above and stay above 4.9. It won't work if it doesn't get back above 4.9. My point is, once it gets above 4.9, it can move very quickly. It could actually take a few months to get back above 4.9. So it's my bold prediction. It's a high conviction call, but it is also dependent on getting back and staying back above 4.9%. Okay, we've already been there once and I feel firmly we're going to get there again. But in the meantime, I don't think what's expected is that the dollar will continue to be weak. Usually the dollar is a risk-off type of mechanism. I just think that we're still going to have a very weak backdrop in the dollar with spiking yields. All right. So we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more. But um, here's something that I kind of want to show because some have asked about that 1999-esque feel that we have to the market. And I can see it too. This is an intermarket tell that I have shown to clients and update but it basically says we've got tech concentration risk. It's starting to look a little bit like a run-up in 1999, okay? So this is NASDAQ composite, and it's a ratio with SPX. It's also on the monthly, and you can see over here, that's the 2000 peak, all right? This was a parabola. All parabolas are trapped longs. When trapped longs want to get out, they trigger volatility. Volatility triggers liquidity events. That's what this parabola did. And then it had this kind of outlier reverts with velocity and it comes all the way back down. Took years before we actually got back up, you know, in play. For now, we've got a 2009, you can see this low ratio that's been doing perfectly fine, right? Moving higher. This ha happened to be the COVID extravaganza. And this is where I saw the head and shoulders also you know, before the January prediction of 2022, where I said, sorry, not 2022, January of, of um, yes, 2022, saying that NASDAQ 13-year outperformance was over. So we did come right back inside this channel. We had a brief bounce in the July timeframe, and then we dumped into the central bank coordinated intervention down here in October of 2022 before continuing higher. We got inside this trend line channel again. And then recently we poked above just a little bit right here. And I have been, you know, saying to clients, hey, I'm, you know, I got to keep an open mind. We could very well have a 1999 type of melt up if we get and stay back up inside this channel. So I'm not ruling it out. And especially with a falling dollar and right now, with falling 10-year yields, it has been a fabulous, fabulous tailwind to propel stocks higher. And here's another one. This is semis, since so much of semis um, are, you know, uh, technology weighted, but also you've got NVIDIA, darling. Here is the 2000 parabola that became unwound. And now let's just kind of fast forward right here. You've got a big old structure. It's not very neat and tidy, but it is a head and shoulders. 
And right now we would need this to get rejected pretty darn soon and come back down if this is going to trigger um, a strong short in semiconductors. So far, not so much, right? All right, so those are those are kind of on a bigger time frame of what I'm watching. The the big difference between you know calling this bullish and this bullish or bearish is I would like it to prove itself. I would like for these charts to confirm. So I know the reason. I was watching this very closely. I know the reason why we fell. I saw the air pocket of risk forming underneath. I know why we bounced here in October because Bank of Japan intervention, Fed, Treasury, China, the whole thing. But now we get the situation where we could move much stronger, but that is going to be diminishing returns. It will be a very, very hard thing to get and stay above. So let's just put a, put a placeholder on that for right now. Um, the big difference between kind of uh, what we had going on um, then, which was a lot of momentum for sure, for sure, and right now is a little bit of guarded skepticism, right? Because we have such a macro backdrop of worry that credit conditions and affordability and, and all those things are kind of creating some macro headwinds. But for the most part, you got still a lot of money, big money, big, big, big money that is chasing tech stocks with other big money. This is a Bloomberg article, you know, talking about how their model portfolios have about 100 billion and global head of iShares even says, you know, predicted in July that overall industry could, could grow. We're talking about tech to 10 trillion over the next 10 years, right? From where it is right now, 4.2 trillion. So big money is still eyeing the future earnings of, you know, not just NASDAQ, um, in general, but uh, semis in particular, it's a big it, it's a big risk that we could actually go higher. And there's a macro backdrop that says, guess what? As worried are, as you are about the economy, keep in mind we're in a period of fiscal dominance. Now, Jeffrey is someone who is a brilliant um, classical economist, and he's one of our contributors. I have a nice full desk of ten tour macro. I've got one solid oil trader and then who, who literally physically trades the, the um, for clients that are dealing with the physical. And then the rest are really momentum traders and analysts and educators. But Jeffrey in particular warns, you got a period of right now where we're fiscal dominance. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Betting on stocks going down nominally in fiscal dominance is risky. What does that mean? So, you know, the, the deficit, fiscal deficit is only rising. So there's more government spending, which contributes to nominal GDP rising, not real GDP, real GDP after inflation, not so not so impressive. But nominal GDP is impressive because fiscal spending continues to rise, whether it's for wars or domestic programs, whether it's political or, you know, or, or um, entitlement programs. The point is fiscal is not going down, it's going up. And the Fed and Treasury have done what they can to kind of mitigate the effects by doing all kinds of intervention. So whether it be, you know, pausing Fed hikes or U.S. dollar swaps or issue, Yellen issuing more bills than bonds. The point is, this is a period of fiscal dominance and it's very hard to be short. It's hard to be short stocks with that backdrop. So kind of keep that in mind. And BlackRock, BlackRock reminds we do have clients sitting on, you know, four trillion cash. So if they were to come out of their short duration, you know, paid to wait investments, then we could also have a 1999 melt up. No question about it. 
Um, and last but not least, just from a sentiment tell, bull markets typically end on euphoria and bottom on despair. I would not say what we have right now is euphoria. Nope. Um, so that's kind of a backdrop. Hopefully that kind of explains how I got into this uh, prediction 2024, right? Falling US dollar. And that could help very much propel stocks higher. Here are some of the bullish backdrop for higher stocks. But unfortunately, in all cases, they end in despair because parabolas trigger volatility, which trigger liquidity events. All right. So what about bonds? That's kind of an equities backdrop. Should we get, you know, should we push higher? And I don't mean this week or next week. I'm talking about into the new year, right? So bonds. Bonds have been this call where we buy the rumor of a rate cut and sell the news of a Fed rate cut. By the way, whether they, uh, Waller was out today, right, talking about, yeah, you know, with inflation falling, we could see a, a Fed rate cut. Basically, that's a Goldilocks or soft landing um, position that the Fed might be taking as reason for a Fed rate cut, not what many have traditionally found, which is Fed cuts only on economic weakness or a stock market crash. So just remember, that's what the equity market is hearing. And I did this post on November 13th. Fed rate cut bets depend on the rate of inflation declining, which it has been, and or the economy weakening. It's weakening a little, no, but not so much. Um, market hears pause. That's all. They just care about you know this, this word of a pause, right? And would soon to be cut and, and it basically the result is the market just rallies on falling yields. It's very Pavlovian. It, it's very much dependent on the economy continuing its um, stabilization. In other words, earnings, they don't fall. Market can move higher, especially with a falling dollar, which I've talked about, right, as the reason why I got very bullish on uh, equities and commodities and gold until the Fed actually cuts. So this post is still in play. And by the way, Fed wouldn't necessarily, uh, even though th the cuts have been moved forward into like, you know, from June to March of next year, it's probably not a until a Q2 thing, right? So again, we have to have economic weakness of size, like a big labor, um, you know, shock, or we just have this, you know, decelerating inflation that makes the Fed feel like they can loosen up the, uh, the, the, the easing by doing a cut. Um, as long as, you know, inflation doesn't rear its ugly head. Point is, we don't have any of the above happening right now. It's all theory, no practice. Just kind of keep that in mind for next year. And then right now, I also had also posted November 13th. We're already seeing um, kind of a yield curve steepening. The, the short duration yields are starting to roll over. The 13-week in particular, it closed below a trend trigger for those who are technical and it was the first time in two years, literally the first time in two years, that the uh, the 13 week uh, Treasury yield broke below the 10 week moving average. Very interesting. Anyway, this is why I had also said the 10 years on its way back to break and close below uh, 4.5. And as you know, we're already at 4.3. So this was a prior post to clients just kind of showing you same thing I wrote to them. I'm telling you now the 10 year Yield very well could pull back to 4.1% area in the next three to six months, offering up more support for stocks and bonds. But then I see it moving higher. So it's all about the timing or the sequencing. That's still my baseline bet. And here is, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm showing you exactly what I wrote for clients, right? 
And the reason that I was very, very um, lucky or good uh, in making a call last year in September of 2022, I called for 4.7% in the 10 year. By the end of 2023, we hit literally 5% you know, before we broke back below. So now I can see a long once we base around 4.1 and then we head higher into the new year. So that's the uh, the bond backdrop, right? With this yield interplay. I've already shown you kind of the dollar backdrop with equities and we're not done yet. <laughs> um, I have definitely discussed this, uh, like literally this is what I had posted for clients, right? I warned US dollar has likely peaked and then for sure anything below 105.77, right? You had seen up here, what is that 105.77 that I mentioned? That's exactly what it is, a technical level. Um, and I'm basically looking at this for, uh, the, the again, this um, is a post I'm copying and pasting just to kind of show you, but the emphasis on inflation being a fiscal problem means it's not going away until they look right in the mirror and start doing some, uh, you know, control of the spending the bonds are still not safe. We can have a bounce, but that doesn't mean we're going to have follow through. And there are lots of reasons to talk about that from a kind of more um, detailed perspective. But basically, I believe we've crossed the Rubicon where Treasury will print and print and print, and they will not be deterred by higher rates. So if you're wondering how on earth are we going to have, you know, this, this yield spike, you know, once we get above the 10-year 4.9%, I'm just saying because the government doesn't see this debt, you know, as, you know, as 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 meaningful. They're just trapped. Fed is trapped. Fiscal is trapped until we get a completely new sheriff in town that says austerity. And what are the chances of that? Right. So big picture, not what I'm expecting. I'm expecting yields to continue to move higher. Um, but first we have to base and, and equities have to kind of do their thing. We also have a worry, of course, with the. Uh, because foreign foreigners, uh, countries that used to be buying our treasuries are now reluctant to finance America's fiscal deficits. They have been selling um, U.S. treasuries, letting them mature or not buying, Bank of Japan being the biggest one. So that kind of brings us into this fray of, uh, you know, U.S. dollars share of the global foreign exchange reserves is falling. And this is a concern as it relates to more weakness in the dollar, I think this is actually going to kind of rear its ugly head uh, next quarter when we have this bond bounce because of falling yields. I think it's actually not going to happen. I think the dollar weakness is going to correspond with um, yields moving higher, and typically they're very kind of tightly correlated. So right now, we've got Fed rate cuts. Uh, expectations are just surging. We've got falling dollar and softer yields and equities are just running, but it's going to turn. Um, it's going to become crowded. It's going to become dangerous. So basically, the, uh, you know, the, the dollar falling is so bullish now, but it's bearish later. So we can debate hard landing, soft landing. That's not really my gig. Um, I definitely am focused on wage inflation, government spending as backdrop um, U.S. Treasury holders, how are they going to be compensated for the fall of money? And that means the value and the collateral, the value of that collateral. So right now we've got some liquidity that came into the markets. That's cool. Um, you know, from corporate buybacks, from CTAs. I just told you it was $100 billion from CTAs. It was also $100 billion for corporate buybacks the last month. We also had the Treasury 
um, uh, QRA, which I've already mentioned, which really triggered the short covering, guess what? That equated to 75 billion in liquidity into the market. So all of that stuff is gonna continue to come back into play when the market gets too dangerous. They don't want it to sell off too much. They don't want it to go too high. So I think we're gonna be you know, kind of trapped in this regard. But um, one big wild card is the Bank of Japan and their potential pivot. Uh, I've talked about this. If you uh, follow me on Twitter, the Bank of Japan, Ueda is really, really in a tight spot. If he stands pat on policy, he risks sending the yen to a multi-decade low and opening up his yield control program to speculative attacks. At the same time, if he raises his ceiling on the 10-year yields under yield curve control, then the governor is going to invite long-term rates to rise, which is not going to be consistent with their economic fundamentals. So this is basically from a prior post um, that I gave to clients, but you kind of get the idea that they could actually trigger a rotation out of dollar and into yen. So maybe January, maybe April, there's all kinds of talk about when that might happen. But the gist of it is they are the largest holder of U.S. Treasuries holding over $1.1 trillion worth of debt. It matters when they sell. And that puts pressure on our longer duration yields. So think, you know, 10, 20, 30. And that's actually a big risk and a reason for my call next year that I think the uh, yields will continue to move. And if we get above 4.9, they will move very quickly. So in a nutshell, 2021 through 2023 were years when the yen had an incredible bear market during the, because of yield curve control. And it happened to take place during the fastest Fed hiking cycle in history. So now we have, what happens? If US bonds and equities, um, right, this reverses, it's gonna be, very, very, very much a headwind to the um, the equity and bond advance, but we're not there yet. So it's chances of a of a bank of a Japan pivot, et cetera. Anyway, this is um, kind of the end of that U.S. dollar has peaked. Um, our post that I gave to clients, and this is it in a nutshell: summary of 2024 predictions. All right, so place your bets. We are either going to have a risk of a 1999 esque ramp in equities. And I think, you know, this is going to have a tough time really taking off, but it is a risk. Bigger is right here. Market cap, you know, top five stocks is kind of forming this head and shoulders rotation. That would be very dangerous on a reversal. So you've got really some key levels here. I'm looking at right now, the dollar and yields being very supportive for higher equities until that turns and we get higher yields, but that might not happen until end of Q1, maybe even you know Q2. So place your bets, 1999-esque ramp, or we get a softening in these top five stocks and potentially the market starts to kind of broaden out. It already has started in November underneath the surface. In other words, think value. This is think growth. Value has definitely started to come up off the ground as it relates to, to, um, to breadth. And the dollar is going to help that. So the dollar weakness is going to help that. So U.S. dollar weakness at first supports equities. That was my baseline bet. And then later hard commodities. Yes, I know if you're worried about recession, you're not going to want to buy copper, but it's definitely going to be relatively stronger steel, copper. And you, you know what's going on with gold and silver and miners right now. A lot of that is delayed after the U.S. dollar weakness. And it matters because this is gold right here, right? This is the dollar inverted. 
you can see that there's a strong correlation. So the dollar weakness has absolutely helped this gold you know, uh, bid. So has Asian currencies rolling over. So this is something I look at every single day with clients as well, whether you trade currencies or not. You've got uh, the dollar yuan on a weekly, a dollar yen on a weekly. Look at that fabulous rollover. Totally expected intervention because this was the October timeframe. You knew back here on October 21st, it was a Friday. We got that live because 152 was a yearly resistance level. Anyway, the point is they're not allowed to go above it. If they do, we have a big drama, big, big, big drama. But in the meantime, they're absolutely coming in and making sure that's JGB, you know, intervention and such that we don't get too um, uh, elevated. The result is weaker US dollar, stronger yen. So that's a potential theme for 2023. And that's why I put it in here. Not just the dollar weakness at first supports equities and later hard commodities. That was my baseline bet. Um, and then it impedes the, the bond bounce, but gold and yen stay bid. And right now, yen is still just coming up off the bottom. Um, I still think that's a viable prediction for 2024. Um, falling U.S. yield gives way to reversal higher end of Q1, Q2 timeframe. Once past 4.9% starts to move quickly into 6.5. So where's 6.5? It's basically 2000, you know, 1999, 2000 um, peak in this kind of 6.5 area, coming from a very, very oversold level. Secular bottom, right, on the COVID low. Huge rate of change expansion. I mean, huge rate of change expansion. That's your 40 you know, year trend line. Anyway, we've been doing a really, really good job to stay elevated, but it's not until we get back above 5% that I see us spiking higher and quickly. Um, last but not least, labor market. It's most lagging indicator, but that's when I think we're gonna approach some volatility triggers. And that's probably gonna start end of year, but really pick up in 2024. So right now it hasn't been an issue. Uh, 20, uh, 2020, 2021, they were, it was clear that inflation was outpacing wage gains. And then 22 and 23 wage gains were now keeping pace with inflation. The uh, the Wall Street, you know, measure of inflation has also been decelerating, but Main Street inflation has not been. But nonetheless, it has helped play catch up. They've been able to consume, the wage increases have delayed recession but now we're going to turn into a completely new um, time frame, I believe, 2024, 2025, where I think we're going to have more challenges. And uh, that would be an absolute reason to see jobless claims uh, rising and, you know, causing a trigger of 4% unemployment rate. That will trigger some volatility. And then here's one that's kind of left field, but I'm going to put it out there. I mean, very few are expecting 6.5, right? But the fifth, 2020. For prediction, Biden doesn't run again, and we'll see it. It'll get priced in in Q2. And that change of policy regime will also offer up higher volatility in oil. Why oil? Because right now, you know, the Biden administration despises anything to do with uh, fossil fuel and is making sure to provide lots of intervention programs to keep the, the, the price low for the election, right? Well, I think that's going to change. And that's obviously way early, but if we start to see the market pricing in um, a change in chief, because usually it's bullish the first five months, let's say of the year, expecting an incumbent to win um, because they assume, the market assumes the policies will stay the same. I think we're gonna actually see it uh, 
unwind. I think they're going to say, oh, we got some uncertainty. Who is going to be the uh, the replacement, whether Democrat or Republican? It simply means volatility. And because of the suppression that's been going on with volatility in oil, I think that will become a lever for higher. And that will also trigger higher yields with um, my 6.5% by end of year. Also putting pressure on stocks and bonds, of course, but that's, you know, that's later on in the year. Don't expect that out of the out of the shoot. But uh, that's it in a nutshell. Let me know if you have any questions. And again, this is the Black Friday deal. If you're interested now, of course, I'm talking big picture right now. But I don't run a live training room and talk about this stuff. I talk about <laughs> the sector rotations and which stocks and, you know, what time frame and how long it's going to last and options and market direction. And, and, and I engage with customers on anything that they want to cover as well. But uh, I thought 2024 might be worthwhile to show um, some of my major things coming up. All right. So I just went through that. The 6.5% at the end of next year, they will continue. I know they can't afford it and corporations will be challenged as well. But hey, <laughs> so far, every year I have made a call on interest rates from 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023. And I have been right all four years. Maybe this is the year I'm not, but I have four very successful years of calling higher interest rates, specific levels in the 10 year. And I'm making a very bold prediction that they're going to continue to print despite rising yields. And if I'm right, we'll see it because it'll pick up speed above 4.9%. Okay. So hiding, hiding is that paid to wait idea, right? In other words, for investors that don't want the drama, they're on an investment time frame, or they want a chunk of money in, in something that just yields returns. I mean, obviously, I run a service that's much more, you know, for active traders and active investors and active money managers, but I get your point. <laughs> um, my trend long portfolio has a lot of cyclical value plays in it, right? Not a lot of volatility at all. So this is very different. Um, I will always look for um, the, the inflection points also in gold and silver and miners. I haven't really liked miners until just recently because the dollar was walloped and it looked like it was really, really going to fall. Tech already moved higher. Commodities were starting and then boom, oil hasn't, but um, hard commodities. And then boom, you know, this, this uh, gold is a very durable trend uh, theme for the year as well. And it will not be a straight line. And I don't think it's going to solve all the problems, but I think it's like Bitcoin has served as a digital gold, although that's not really my game. Um, gold and digital gold have absolutely served as masterful hedges for what's happening right now with fiscal dominance. I think real, re, residential real estate holds its value because it's an inflationary asset. And I do not see deflation coming at all. I see disinflation impulses, but I do not see deflation coming. So I think assets, yes, they can, you know, real estate can can squiggle around a good 15% on the margin, but I do not see a reversal and a crash unless we get some really, really big um, market um, shenanigans by, um, you know, change of regime, the Fed head or Yellen or obviously the administration. That would obviously, all bets are off then. So I am very, yeah, uh, very much going to follow the sector rotation themes. Right now, it's clearly, um, just recently, actually, another gold, uh, you know, precious metal 
and I would say commodities as a follow through because of the falling dollar, but how long that will last? Because again, it's not like it's going to go between now and the end of December. I have to manage that, those sector rotation plays. And they do change, by the way. So throughout the year, depending on yields and dollar, depending on, um, of course, we've had the AI extravaganza and uh, the tech flurry, but we're not in a point right now where I think I can, as I mentioned, where I can call, as I just showed you, right? Are we 1999? 